Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Father, we as always ask for your blessing here at this time as we come before your word that we might hear it and be changed, transformed by it. Lord, create wonderful things within us as you continue to shape us in your image, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. I need, uh, I, I need your participation here, your help with this, to know where I'm at a little bit. So when you have this, please join in, and uh, you'll need to say it loud enough that I can hear you up here, okay? So when you have this, please join in. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Okay, so a lot of you have heard that. That's wonderful. Okay, that's great. This is a 18th century prayer. So this was written a long, long time ago. It's a children's prayer, children's bedtime prayer. Many of you have picked up on it. I envisioned at one point having a bunch of the kids come forward here and pray it together, but I thought that'd be tacky, uh, so I didn't do that. But uh, the idea here is that we have uh, an assertion of God's protection. This is a recognition of God's protection. If you're not familiar with the lines, uh, now I lay me down to sleep, okay, I'm laying myself down to sleep, and I pray the Lord my soul to keep. So Lord, keep my soul while I am sleeping, it's a recognition that the Lord is the one that is in charge of all things as we are sleeping. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, to take to heaven with him. If I die before I wake. This is uh, intended as, a, as an expression of great comfort, and I don't know, we didn't raise our kids with the psalm, I don't know, or with this little prayer, I don't know if, if you've been exposed to it that way or not. Um, but it's intended to give some comfort, some, uh, some assurance that our Lord is protecting us, that our God is caring for us at all points in the game. It's also, however, a recognition that we live in a very dangerous world. Now, for most of us, the physical dangers of this world are separated far enough from us that we don't live with that imminent threat of danger every day. We don't necessarily get up and think to ourselves that today may indeed be the day that some accident befalls us or some wicked action overtakes us or a disease or trauma or something like that claims our lives. But nevertheless, most of us realize that that is the world in which we live in that we do live in a broken world that is very dangerous. Now, 
an offshoot of that is that sometimes people hear that and recognize that in their own lives and they respond very negatively. They live a fearful life. Now, this is not just folks that are outside the church. This is so many of us, myself included, we end up living a more fearful existence than what we should. Or we go the other way and blindly ignore the things that are happening around us, shut ourselves off from it. But the reality is that not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally and relationally, we live in a very dangerous world. The kid's prayer here not only affirms the child's assertion that God will protect them, but it also acknowledges the dangers of everything around us. And this is the guts, then, of Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is a prayer or an affirmation of the protective qualities of our God. It is an assertion here that our God will protect us, that our God will care for us in all circumstances, that in never are we separated away from the love and the protection and the care of our God, and it is exactly that kind of an attitude that is trying to be fostered within the believer so that we can effectively move and effectively move uh, minister within the world that God has created for us. And so we have this attitude, this desire built into us from the psalmist here that you would know of the great comfort and the love and the protection and the keeping quality of our God. I want to walk us through this psalm to see if we can't picture the same assurance, the same comfort that the psalmist clearly has living in an incredibly dangerous world. And what it means for us, we are about to enter, for a lot of folks, the new school year, where our kids will be going off to school, where as kids we'll be going off to school, or where as we're shifting work here at the church. and all, There are all of these different avenues for us to live in light of the dangers of this world. And what the psalm evokes from us is a certain character, a certain trait that I want to see if we can't look at. Well, we begin, though, at verse 1, and before we actually get into a discussion of the comfort or of the protective qualities of this psalm, we have to handle two quick, uh, or one longer and one quicker exegetical question or interpretive question. How do we understand the hills? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? I lift my eyes to the hills. What are these hills? Um, and, and how does the author understand the hills that are present here? Um, we need to lay this out for us real quickly for us. When the author says, I lift my eyes to the hills, uh, there's a couple of different ways in which you can understand that. One of which is really straightforward, and it's one that I hope that all of you have had some experience with or not, and that is that 
in difficult times, in challenging moments of our lives, etc., you go out into God's great creation and you see the hills, you see the beauty of God's nature and all of his creative uh, abilities, etc., and you lift your eyes to the hills in the midst of being kind of depressed or overwhelmed by the, the dangers of this world or the frustrations of this world. You get out into nature, you lift your eyes to the hills, and you get that overwhelming sense you are reoriented into the world that God has actually made. And it's no longer a sense of, of focusing only upon the things that are happening in your own life, but you step out into the world and you sit there and you see what God has done and the beauty of it and the majesty of it and the vastness of it, and there is an absolute comfort, an absolute reorientation of your life where you sit there and say, hey, yes, this is where my help comes from. In light of the beauty of this world, in light of everything that God has made, I can sense a sense of comfort here that is coming upon me or a sense of assurance of God's protective qualities because of the great wonders of God's good creation. And I will tell you, personally from experience and also from interacting with a lot of people, I will tell you that if you are feeling overwhelmed by what is happening around you, if you are losing touch with the Lord, if you can't find that sense of comfort and affirmation that God provides uh, an assurance of his protection in your life, stepping out into God's creation, getting lost in the beauty of what our Lord has done here, really is a wonderful way of reconnecting, of sensing again God's presence. If the hills mean I lift my eyes to the hills, the author here overwhelmed with fear or overwhelmed with sorrow and sadness in his life, and he's saying, look, I lift my eyes to the hills and I'm reminded of the power of God, I'm reminded of the affirmations of our Lord, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's a possible way of understanding the first verse. Another possibility, though, is different. This is, I lift my eyes to the hills. If you have a scripture in front of you, a Bible in front of you, you will notice that this is a psalm of ascent. This is one of the Psalms of Ascents. And this is the songs that the pilgrims would sing to one another as they are winding their way up the hills to Jerusalem to go to worship. This is probably one of the songs in which they sang as they were coming along one of the major festivals that would draw all the worshipers together into Jerusalem. Jerusalem uh, was built along uh, a series of hills, and uh, upon the biggest of those hills is where the temple is. And the temple is that physical manifestation of the presence of God. Now, clearly, God is everywhere, and the Israelites knew that. But the idea is here, as you are walking your way towards worship, and you're feeling the weight of the day, you're feeling the frustration of the week that is before you, or the fear of what is around the corner, the concerns about your relationships, or the concerns about your physical body, perhaps your family is suffering through some illness or some. I lift my eyes to the hills as I'm going up to worship. I lift my eyes, and what do I see there? I see the city of God. I see that spot where I can meet with the Lord and experience his presence in this overwhelming, fulfilling way. It doesn't happen a whole lot in our sanctuary, but in the other churches that I've served at, it's not uncommon to go into the sanctuary in the middle of the week and you'd find somebody there in the sanctuary, spending time, seeking the solace and the comfort and the reassurance of God's presence. Now, it's not that God is any more present in this room or up on the hill than he is anywhere else, 
But there is something to the idea that when you come to a spot that is in your mind, set apart, is dedicated, it's that special spot where you meet each week with the Lord, there's a sense of, of presence that you can experience there. And I would strongly encourage that if you get overwhelmed, that if you get scared, concerned, frightened of the world that we confront here every day as believers, there is something that is indeed really reassuring by going into a spot that is set apart for the worship of our God. I would encourage you, come to the church. Look to the hills. See if that might be where your help comes from. That's a possible understanding of the first verse. But I think primarily it means something that most of us don't recognize. It's exactly the opposite of this. The hills throughout Israel and throughout the Middle East were the places where you would worship the local deity, where you would worship the local idol, where you would meet with the god that rules this particular area. Their gods were located throughout the place, and the god of this particular area usually, reserve, usually resided on the top of a hill. And so at the top of all the hills, there would be these shrines or altars or uh, temples that would be dedicated to these different gods, these local deities. And these local expressions would be saying, hey, right here is where you can get comfort. If you're lost in this world, if you're struggling in this world, then go to this local deity, look to the hills and say, ah, over here is the one that promises to bring rain. Over here is the one that promises to protect my family. And so you can picture the pilgrim here in verse, in verse 1, walking through, and he's saying, as I'm going through my life, I'm looking to the hills, and I'm seeing all of these alternatives that are saying, look, right here is where you can get comfort. Here is where you can get strength. Here is where you can find nurture for your soul. And the author is looking at all of these kind of things and saying, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? And of course, his answer in verse 2 is, my help doesn't come from any of those things. My help doesn't come from every day. If you travel in this world, every day you are confronted by those hills that are offering you a different vision, a different way of experiencing God's, uh, sorry, an idol's comfort or an idol's care and protection. Every day, there is some hill that is promoting to you that if you just have enough stuff, if you just make enough money, if you just have enough of that reputation, then suddenly all of your fears, all of your concerns will go away. That's where your help resides. That's where your comfort comes from. That's where your protection is lodged in the fact that there is this idol that you can pursue. Or if we just latch onto this particular political philosophy, this political persuasion, 
this particular way of running our government, this particular way of running our society, if we just latch onto that, then suddenly all of the problems that are here because of the other guys will be smoothed away and everything will be great and will be glorious. And that hill cries to you that says, here's where your help is. Here's where you need to put your emphasis. Here's where you need to put your attention. Or the family. Or your health hey, everything else can go to hell in a handbasket, but as long as I have my family or as long as I have my health. And so your focus is upon the health and you believe that idol that is on that hill that says here's where your help comes from. Here's where your strength comes from. There's nothing wrong with a political persuasion. There's nothing wrong with your family. There's nothing wrong with pursuing your health. There's everything wrong in thinking that that is where your help comes from. Most of you are spiritually mature enough that you know that. But are you sensitive enough to your own heart and the deception of your heart to be able to pick up when the hills are calling to you. The author here is walking along and he sees all of these things that tempt him. Here's where you find your real strength, in the core of who you are. Dig down deep and that essence of what your heart tells you, that's where you will find the true essence of... Don't be fooled by the idols that surround us all around, the counterfeit gods that we cannot escape. Because the author here says, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Before we look at that, we need to ask the second exegetical question, the second interpretive question. How do we understand this idea of keeper? The Lord is my keeper. Seven different times in these verses, the word keeper is used, or the word keep is used. The Lord is my keeper. He will keep your life. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep Israel. He will, not, he will keep you. He will not slumber. Over and over again is this idea of God keeping us. All right, now, a safe is a wonderful place to secure your valuables. A safe is a place where you can keep your valuables. Okay? Um, a guard... Uh, will protect us, will we'll keep a prisoner away from, from the rest of society or something like that. There's a, a guard that is there, something along those lines. Um, when we hear the word that God will keep us, there's a temptation in English to think very passively, that God is kind of surrounding us, that he's guarding us, that he's a secure place for us to be, and those kind of things, and that's an okay image. But the word is a really active one. Um, I, I got caught up looking at this. Everywhere else that this word is used, it has the idea of grasping, or reaching out for, or wrapping his arms around. The picture here is not that God is, is passively keeping you safe by kind of just being there, but rather that he is reaching out, he is aggressively wrapping himself around you so that you will be protected, so that you will be kept safe and secure. And so the emphasis here is, is not on, on a passivity, on a, we're not focusing on what God can do, 
We're focusing on what God does do when he reaches out and wraps himself tightly around us and around each and every one of you. So when the Lord keeps us, then we have to say, what kind of keeping is this? What kind of keeping does our God do? Who is it that keeps us the way that, he, that we are told? Well, first off, we see this. In verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is focusing on, upon God as creator. This is the author reminding himself, hey, my help comes from the guy who has all the power in the world. He is the guy who created everything. He's the one who has every ounce of strength ever necessary to protect me and to keep me safe. God is the one who protects me, and it is the God, not just the generic God, it's the God who made heaven and earth. So the first thing is to recognize his extreme power that is here. But just having the power is no good if God's not paying attention, if God isn't paying attention. And so we are told that it's not just that God is the creator here. In verse 4, behold, God who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. <clears throat> this is an offside thing, but the idols, all idols are human creations, and they share human characteristics. And humans sleep. We slumber. Things happen, and we miss it. And so the ancient gods all slept, or they slumbered, or they would miss things. This is how their worshipers explained how bad things happened. If God's up there and he loves me, then how is it that something bad happens to me? Well, God must have missed it. He was sleeping, or he was slumbering. And here we have the affirmation, no, our God never slumbers, he never sleeps. Our God sustains the world. He is providentially in control of everything that happens in our lives. And so God's the creator, he's the providential sustainer of all things, and not only that, but it's one thing to God be, have the power and to see that you need help, but that doesn't mean that he will until you realize that this is also the redeemer God. This is the God who loves us. And so God not just has the ability to love us, sorry, the ability to save us, and the attentiveness to save us, but he is also the God who loves us and desires to save us. The creator, the sustainer, and the provider of all things for each and every one of us. And so we have that great affirmation of the psalm here, that the Lord will keep you. He will keep you when the sun goes down, when the sun comes up, from now until forevermore, by day or by night. The emphasis here is to try to get you to see the extent of God's protective care. God will protect you. And every discerning person in this room needs to say, really? Really? Because in my life, all I see are things where God doesn't protect me. Where all the evil and the difficulties that surround my life strike every day. Where I can't seem to avoid the suffering and the sorrow that strikes in my life and in every other life. Is Psalm 121 something that experientially we all just need to ignore? 
because it talks about God's protection at every stage. And yet, I can't be the only one here that every day sees suffering in my life, that every day sees suffering in everyone else's life. Where is this God that promises that he will protect us? Of course, a good look at the psalm answers exactly that. Because nowhere in this psalm is there the promise that you will avoid the struggles of this life. Nowhere in here is the idea that you will not suffer the difficulties of this life. As a matter of fact, the psalm is built around the understanding that you will suffer these kind of things. That's not the promise. It is only hubris on my part, arrogance and pride that insists that if God's going to protect me, he's going to protect me the way I insist that he's going to protect me. And by golly, that means that I don't suffer. That means that nobody dies in my life. That means there's no disease that ever hits in my life. That means everything works in my society in the way that I think society should run. That's the height of my own arrogance. Not to sit there and say, but what does God say? Not that he will keep bad things from ever happening to me, but look in verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. This is the promise of Scripture. I rarely do this because I tend to think that people check out whenever a long quote is being read. So these are my words, <clears throat> done by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Um, and listen to what he says here. The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord. The Christian life is not a fantasy trip to the heavenly cities where we compare our gold medals with others who made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathes the same air, drinks the same water, shops at the same stores, reads the same newspapers, fears the same dangers, experiences the same pressures, shares the same anxieties, are buried in the same ground. The difference for believers is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, Christians know that we are preserved by God, that we are accompanied by God, that we know that we are ruled by God, and therefore that no matter what doubts we endure and what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil he will keep our life. This is not wonderful sentiment. This is daily living for the Christian. It's not just sentiment because this was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The whole promise of Psalm 121 makes no sense apart from Christ our Lord. Without Christ, Psalm 121 simply means God will protect you from evil. Maybe. With Jesus Christ, we know that the Lord has protected us from evil because all the evil of your life has found its way onto Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
you can have the same assurance that Paul has. Here's a shorter quote, but it's one that I hope you hear well. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord God, we do turn to you at this time, trusting exactly in that promise, in that affirmation that is present in your scriptures, that you will protect, that you will guide, that you will do all things for us, that you have done all things for us through Jesus Christ our Lord, and therefore we can trust in that very great promise that he gives to us of his protection for us in all things. Lord, nothing will ever take us away from your protective hand. What a great comfort 